you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Going here. Uh, my name is Chris again, and I'm glad that you joined us. Yeah, and just God, God, yeah, God's in the place. And and honestly, I think that's I, I've said I say it a lot myself, even just to myself, like to remind myself of that reality. We. We don't have to go like convince God to get here. We just get to welcome him and we get to bask in the presence of God. And I believe that um, if, if you're anything like me and, and what I just experienced in the presence of God, there would just be this reality that I think we're all here because God wants to do something in us and through us as individuals, as a community. And, and so we anticipate that uh, fittingly. We're in a season called Easter Tide, and, and all through Easter Tide, what we do is we contemplate the resurrection of Jesus, and we're imagining what it would have been like to encounter the resurrected Jesus. We imagine what he would say, or we might imagine what it would be like to touch the wounds in his hands. We might imagine what it would be like to share a meal with him and watch the resurrected Jesus eat. And I think there's this thing about Jesus and, and I, there's even this element of what we're experiencing in this present moment where like one of the scariest things about Jesus is that he's on the loose, right? Like especially post-resurrection, everybody's scared. That's what everybody's encounter is with Jesus. And there's this reality of the world we live in now where Jesus is also on the loose and that's a bit frightening. I love it about Jesus. Like Jesus could surprise us at any moment in any way. It's just the way, uh, that's, that's the reality. He might, he might catch us off guard. He tends to do that. And so I love it about Jesus, but I'm also a bit frightened that Jesus is on the loose. First John is the, the letter we've been going through through this season. And it's this letter that was written by the apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? And he's writing this to remind the gathered community of Jesus people in and around the city of Ephesus that John had seen and been with Jesus, like, that's his ultimate card. He's got the ace up his sleeve, and he's like, no, I have been with Jesus. I've seen him before, and I've seen him after. And he's telling this community some 30 years after that, I was with that Jesus, that Jesus who was on the loose. And so in our passage today from 1 John 5, the first six verses, that's what we're looking at. They read like this. And it's kind of just encaptures all of what John was trying to say in this letter. He says this. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood and the Spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. It's as if John here is demanding that we, even the community of God's people, come clean. And he's saying, which God do we love? 
Which God? Right? Because remember, he's writing to a group of people who've begun to doubt that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was both human and God. And he says, which God do we love? The one we can box in or the one that's on the loose? And so as we ponder that question, I'm going to pray for the Spirit of God to reveal the God of love to us and speak through the rest of our time here. And then we'll dive in to the passage. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you. You are here among us. You are moving in our lives. And so now we invite you by way of your spirit to teach us. Teach us that we are loved, yes. Teach us how to follow your son, Jesus. Teach us how to be the community you desire for us to be. Give us open hearts and open minds and open ears and open eyes to receive whatever it is you have. And God, if there's anything in this moment for any one of us, that might be keeping us from encountering such love today? Would you remove it? Would you set it aside? Would you cast it out? Would you root us in your love? And God, I pray for myself. I pray that you'd give me your words to speak, that I wouldn't say anything that's not for you or from you, and if I should, that we would forget it so quick, God, so that we might make much of you, so that we might know you more intimately, and we might receive the reality that we are loved. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So again, this passage in 1 John 5 begins like this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Like just what an opening line. Everyone. Everyone, everyone is either a child of God or on the cusp of becoming a child of God. Everyone, right? Loving God is really what John is trying to get to in all of this. This six-verse section that we're looking at today, it's like the most comprehensive summary of the teaching of 1 John, in which we're reminded literally for the umpteenth time, I feel like every single time we've looked at this text, we're like, it's saying the same thing. And we're just saying it in different ways. Loving God because Jesus loves us must result in love for our brothers and sisters. Like that's just what John's trying to say. And John goes on to highlight this little piece in all of this about obedience. But not in the way many of us have been conditioned to expect it. But before we let John lay it out, we're reminded by Willie Jennings that this is true. Obedience is just a rich biblical theme. It defines so much of the journey of faith and so much of the journey's struggle. It is both the gift and the challenge at the same time. And we just can say amen to that, right? Like, yes, that is true of our lives. Welcome to a place where we all struggle to live out in obedience the life that God has for us. Right? There's something that knits us together. I guess it's that. To follow Jesus, to practice his ways, is to set out on a path of learning to obey as the Spirit guides us. So here's how John parses it out. He says this, the next two verses. He says, we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments 
are not burdensome. The kind of love for others that is required of these communities of Jesus followers is determined by love. Like that's, that's the thing, that's the marker. For in fact, this is why though. We need each other's encouragement to love others. It's not always like we just roll up full of that love and it's like, yeah, I know how to love these people today. We need each other to encourage us in that movement. That's why he's speaking to a community of people who's trying to wrestle out how to do this. It's as we often say around here at Kaleo, it's just like a straightforward thing, but we say you are loved and we need each other. That's from 1 John. That's what John's trying to tell this community of people. Like I probably could stop talking and we could just sit there and reflect on this reality that we are loved and we need each other. But I'm a preacher and I got more to say, all right? So here we go. John's trying to get his point just like I am, to like course through the very being of our lives. The commands of God are understood like this, right? Love for one another and to believe in the name of Jesus, that's to trust Jesus. And he just keeps reiterating it again and again and again, which just says to me, apparently we need a continual reminder. So let this be our reminder again today. Another way to understand this it's like this from Marianne Mae Thompson. She's a New Testament professor at Fuller Seminary, and she says it like this. She says, John tells us that God commands us to love. Whether we are speaking of love of God or love of others, love epitomizes the divine will for human beings since God is love. All those who are children of God who confess Jesus as the Christ are to love each other. Like, yes, I hear you saying the same thing again. She says, so faith and love are each expressions of the work of God in a person's life. Each is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. Our faith is in Jesus as the Messiah of God, which is what John's trying to communicate to this people, right? Like, that's who he is. And it provides the fundamental manifestation of God's love for us. So here's the catch. She builds on this and she says this. To speak of doing what pleases God can lead some people to imagine that it is by doing enough of what pleases God that we somehow gain approval or favor in God's eyes. But pleasing God and keeping God's commands cannot be measured statistically. Like there's no tally that helps us do that. Literally, pleasing God is the response to God's love in our lives. That's why when we receive the reality that we are loved as we are right now, it launches us. We can't help but do the things that are in line with what God asks of us. That's the core. That's the motivation. That's the power even. And so it is then that this one thing here uniquely stands out to me in this passage. Every time I look at it, it stops me in my tracks. The commandments of God are not burdensome. Do you catch that? The commandments of God are not burdensome. You might have heard before or you might have taught yourself to believe that the commands of God are heavy and wear you down. 
that they're full of shame and guilt and fear. No, the commands of God are not burdensome. Be free from thinking they are. Get free from that. God's commands are not demands unrelated to us. They're not imposed upon us. They're not something we must measure up to. In fact, John here seems to deny that fulfilling the commands is actually possible by human power or initiative. We can't even do it. He says it's because God's love was already there prior to us, and we can only confess Jesus by an inspiration of his spirit anyway. That's the whole motivation. The next verse explains in more finality why the commands of God are not burdensome. So hold that out in front of you because here's what John says next. He says, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. Did you catch that? Every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory or it might say you overcome through our faith. We fulfill the commands because every child of God has overcome the world. And you're like, what? This is a statement of God's victory in us. And that actually provides for us the real basis of why the commands are not burdensome. We have already achieved the victory. It's already been done in and through Jesus. So Jesus is in you and with you and for you. Therefore, you already have victory against the things of this world. You are free. You are not burdened. You are not weighed down. You are free. What a, what a word, right? In John's context, what he's saying, he's writing to real people that he's seen and talked to and encountered. And then they're passing the letter around. In his context, he's saying that the Christians that he's writing to have stood firm. They have faith in God. And they hold to faith in God. Let's imagine that he's saying that to us. Right? John's not just stressing there's something you need to do. What he's stressing is the present reality of their victory. They have it right now. This is your moment. You are in the place of victory. He's not saying that followers of Jesus can overcome or that they will overcome, but that they have victory through Jesus right now. That is the present reality we walk around in. That is what he gifts us. This is victorious faith. And in this context, it means continuing to steadfastly walk in the faith that Jesus is the Son of God and that through him, this community of people has passed from death to life. They have overcome the world, something that John's already written about in this letter. They continue to receive life, something he's already written about in this letter. And they are kept safe from the evil one the way he ends the letter. Which is why John just boils it all down for us again. The commands of God in 1 John are to love God by trusting in Jesus and to love one another. Jesus is the one who marks a new way. This new birth on Mother's Day, no less, right? This new birth isn't to be read as something that's superficial. It's real. It's happening now. It's in our midst. We actively participate in the ongoing life of Jesus in the world through the Spirit because we have victory in him. It's all rooted 
in the love that God's already given to us. And Jesus continues to overcome the world in us and through us. But then John asks this question. He says, and who can win this battle against the world? And we're like, hold on, are you talking about my life? Who can win this battle against the world? Right? Just whatever you even want to make the world out to be. Anything that's against you. Who can win this battle? And he says, only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, the faith of believers is what overcomes the world. And it produces love which distinguishes all of us from the world. Community wrapped up in a commitment to that kind of love. That is why there's victory. Not just because you received it and you willed it, but because we, in fact, needed to be it together. So we clarify this, right? John's meaning is not about conquering anybody. People have done that and misconstrued it and made it out to be that. John's meaning is that this is the case. Successfully living God's way it's not succumbing to the whims and the priorities of a rebellious world. He says your faith is already your victory over the world. Your faith that this is who Jesus is and this is what Jesus has done and this is what Jesus promises to you. But neither is this true. Neither is our overcoming purely referring to the future. Right? As if we only really overcome at some point at the end of the age. The victory is actually now. Our faith in Jesus is now because the Spirit has gifted us such faith now. It is this that we're supposed to grab our hold of. Faith has already overcome the world. It's already happening. That's why when we say about the kingdom of God, it's happened but it's already, but it's not yet. Yes, there's more to come when Jesus comes again, but it's already unfolding in our midst right now. Willie Jennings, though, brings it into reality for us because I think I feel even myself, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, like a little bit of that, right? A little bit of Rocky, exactly, a little bit of Rocky. Willie Jennings says this. He says, our overcoming or our victory is not a detour around opposition, controversy, violence, and even death. It is a faithful character formed through careful listening to the Spirit while we are in the crucible of trouble. Did you catch that? Because, yeah, exactly, that is real, because that speaks right into our very lives right now. Every single one of us could go, I got a little bit of a crucible of trouble right now. Because here's what he says. He says, our overcoming is not a detour around opposition, controversy, violence, and even death. Look at all of Jesus' followers. It is a faithful character formed through careful listening to the Spirit while we are in the crucible of trouble. Are we listening to the Spirit of God? And then he finishes off like this. And he says, And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, 
confirms it with his testimony. So what is this testimony in the world? As was the case with Jesus, we make visible our obedience to God at those precise places in our lives where family or something cultural or societal or a national identity wishes to automatically dictate our allegiances and actions. It actually is something different. Overcoming is assured because we are in God's family. We are God's children. That's what he's been saying all along. And thus we are being formed into the likeness of Jesus together. Together. You might not feel it in this moment, so you need somebody else to pull you through it. That is literally why we need each other. It's one of the downsides of actually sitting in a place like this where we all face forward. We can't see all the people. We need one another to pull us through. That's the gift of community. And just like Jesus, choosing a different path will be expensive. It'll cost us something. It just will. The faith that overcomes, that has victory, is no faith that floats above the material demands of life. It won't just allow us to coast out over the top. It's going to cost us to go right into the middle of it. But you know why we can do that? Because we have victory. It might not feel like it at the moment. It might unfold that way for a long time, which again is why we need each other. That faith, like the faith of Jesus, presses us to live for God at every moment of our lives, from our baptism to our death. That is, from water to blood, as John says. To press into the ways of Jesus. Jesus is on the loose, revealing himself, loving each of us in the midst of it, and inviting us to join in as we go into the middle together. All because love is birthed in and through God from the foundation of the world. And I want us to meet this God of love. I want us to know this God of love. And I want this God of love to let you know that you are loved. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite the band up. Band, come, come on up. You're going to have to sit for a minute, but four of you got seats, so I think you'll be all right. And I want to guide us through a practice that allows us to encounter this God of love. Does that sound like something we're up for? You all are, Okay, we're all okay with that? God's already moving. God's already revealing himself. You might be like, I already know that God right now. Well, then just stay in that place, okay? So here's the invitation. The invitation is to open up your imagination. And I'm going to guide you through an opportunity to encounter this God of love. And so even now, I just ask that you would, you would allow your heart to expand so that you might meet him. Maybe get in a comfortable position, a receiving posture, if that helps. You can close your eyes if that helps, too. I'm going to pose a few questions and move us through this time. First thing is this. If you could meet God anywhere at all, 
for a one-on-one conversation. Where would you meet God? Envision that place. Go to that place. If you could meet God anywhere, where would you meet him? So that location forms in your imagination. How would God come to you there? How would God meet you in this place? Maybe as a friend or a lover or a mother or a teacher. Imagine God meeting you there. And as you picture God in this place, look God in the face. What expression do you see? How does God look at you? Allow yourself to be seen. now as you're face to face with God and the location you picked to meet God, ask God, what is the first thing you want to say to me, God? And listen for God's response. this. God, if I gave you my problem, my question, my challenge, my grief, my struggle, whatever it is you want to name, say, God, what would you give me in exchange as a gift? that trade that God's proposing to you interests you, then just pray, God, you can have it. Release that to God. And hold God's gaze. This God you're encountering right now is, I know, without a doubt, the God who is full of pure love and hospitality. This God is known in the person of Jesus, the God who is love, the face of God, Jesus Christ, and loves you so much. Would you just try to receive that love from God right now? God, you are here with each one of us. And as you look us in the face, would you tell each of us 
the good news you want to tell us yourself? What is the good news we need to hear right now? God, would you tell it to us? Give us ears to hear, to listen to what it is you're saying. Thank you for looking at us and speaking to us and trading with us and loving us. May we never forget the intimacy of such an encounter as this moment. Is the desire of your heart to love us this way, to know us this way, to meet us in this way. Would we receive it and carry it with us? For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.